0: Why do conservatives tend to freak out when liberals try to enact programs to support the working class in the US? I mean, we've heard it over and over again. free lunches for school kids who are in need? WIC vouchers for mothers and children who are living below the poverty line? Guaranteed health care that's not tied to employment? But what are these accusations all about? Is what they're describing really socialism? And if it is, is that really the moral scourge that it's painted out to be? I'm Dara Starr Tucker, and this is the breakdown. They want to rebuild your home. They want to take away your hamburgers. This is what Stalin dreamt about. Hamburgers? Stalin? What? Is Medicaid really what Stalin himself dreamt of? One of the most ruthless dictators of the 20th century, labor camps, executions, over 3 million people starved to death, the founder of the KGB and leader of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, that Stalin dreamt of? Medicaid? That sounds like a slippery slope argument that lives atop a mountain covered in crude oil. I mean, have you ever been in conversation with someone and you make a fairly reasonable statement that they disagree with and then they take that statement to its most extreme conclusion and accuse you of advocating for that extreme thing they just made up? I I mean, I I just don't believe in corporal punishment. No study has shown Oh, so you think kids should just be allowed to run willy-nilly all over the grocery store, huh? Just terrorizing shoppers and eating all the grapes while you chit-chat on your phone? Yeah, yelling socialism in a crowded theater of capitalists when Someone suggests multimillionaires and corporations should pay their fair share in taxes, sound a little like that. So, how did we get from Medicaid to Stalin? Well, if you benefited from a good education, you know that it's not very difficult to manipulate people who did not. Most politicians in the U.S. know that most of their constituents don't know the difference between capitalism, socialism, communism, social democracy, and democratic socialism. And those folks can be easily whipped into a fury when someone dangles a scary word like socialism in front of them. Now, contrary to what some may have you believe, the framers of the U.S. Constitution did not write that document to uphold any particular economic theory or ideology, including capitalism. They crafted a Bill of Rights and then left the decision-making around socioeconomic policy to the democratic process, with a heavy emphasis on maintaining individual freedoms, of course. So let's sort this out. Whether it's communism, socialism, democracy, or capitalism, very few pure governmental or socioeconomic systems have ever existed. There has never been a purely communist government, not even the Soviet Union or communist China. And regardless of the machinations of some, the United States doesn't run on pure, unadulterated, high-octane capitalism Either. It never has. Most governments and economic systems are a mix of various socioeconomic and political theories, and the corruption of those ideas through greed, the lust for power, and racial and ethnic marginalization has further diluted how these theories are carried out in practice. Now, when you hear these theories discussed, you'll hear the term means of production bandied about a lot. The means of production are land, labor, and capital. Land includes water, oil, coal, or any other natural resource. Labor refers to a person using mental or physical effort to do a job. And capital is property, like a work vehicle, a factory, or an office building that's used to produce goods and services. In an information economy, computers or Wi-Fi networks would be considered capital. It's also important to note that the application, and therefore the definition of these terms, has shifted over time, as it should. What Pierre Leroux, who first coined the term socialism, meant by it in 1832 is very different from what it's come to mean in the 21st century. Kind of like classic liberalism means something completely different from what liberal means now. So, What is socialism exactly? Socialism is a society in which the means of production, distribution, and exchange are owned collectively by the community as a whole rather than by private individuals. Leaders can still be elected democratically in many socialist societies. The idea is that the nation's resources will be distributed in a way that benefits society as a whole. The government, whether democratically elected or not, typically decides how those resources will be distributed, often through social programs and governmental services that ostensibly benefit everyone. They do believe in private ownership of homes, clothing, and other personal items, just not private ownership of the means of production. The goal is to eliminate social classes and create a society where everyone has equal access to the nation's resources and wealth. Now, communism is a type of socialist economy or government, so all communists are socialists, but not all socialists are communists, meaning there are lots of different kinds of socialism. Communism is just one type. With pure communism, there's no state, no money, and no class hierarchy. There's no private ownership of resources and no need to accumulate wealth. Resources are distributed by the government, from each according to his ability, to each according to his need. Marxism, named after its founder Karl Marx, is often seen as an extreme form of communism. When we talk about communism today, we're usually referring to Marxism. Marx believed that the goal of socialism was to provide a stepping stone to communism, but many socialists don't agree with that goal. Very importantly, Marx believed that the only way to implement true communism was through revolution. Capitalism, of course, is an economic system built on private ownership of the means of production. And the system of capitalism is built to allow the owners of that land, labor, and capital to financially profit from that ownership. A democracy is simply a government by the people. In a direct democracy, the people vote on issues directly. In a representative democracy, the people elect representatives to vote on issues for them, like congresspeople. A republic is really just a representative democracy. A wrench to this whole mix is the confusion that often exists between the terms democratic socialism, which is essentially socialism sprinkled with a bit of democracy, and the term social democracy, which has come to mean a capitalist system sprinkled with a bit of socialism. These are two very different things, and this is a really important distinction to understand. Though Bernie Sanders, for example, calls himself a democratic socialist, his beliefs align much more closely with that of a modern day social democrat, someone who believes that capitalism can work as long as it's efficiently regulated by social programs that are meant to ensure the common good. Most people in the U.S. throwing around the word socialism today are really speaking of something closer to social democracy, which really isn't socialism at all. Social democracy is the form of government used in most of Scandinavia and in Canada, and it operates primarily on a capitalist framework, not a socialist one. The means of production, distribution, and exchange are privately owned for the most part, just as they are in the U.S. Remember, true socialists don't believe in private ownership of the means of production. Many European countries like Sweden, Denmark, and Norway are often referenced as a model of successful socialist societies where the community as a whole owns the means of production. But their systems are much closer to a social democracy, which fundamentally embraces capitalism with a heavy emphasis on social welfare. And they're consistently at the top of the rankings for the world's happiest countries. As with anything, socialism or capitalism at their most extreme are probably more harmful than not. Unchecked capitalism means business and industry thrive at the expense of workers. There are no No social protections, no safety nets, no regulations on business, and we see the kind of human rights abuses that we did at the height of the Industrial Revolution. We've been through that already. In the U.S. in the latter part of the 19th century and the early 20th century, during the second Industrial Revolution, a small handful of men like Vanderbilt, Rockefeller, J.P. Morgan, and Andrew Carnegie were able to build untold wealth, exploiting workers with 14-hour workdays and by paying workers' paupers' wages. If workers were injured or sick, too bad, they just couldn't provide for their families. Companies didn't have to create safe working environments either. People would be regularly injured on the job and they would just replace them with someone younger and stronger. People had no social security protections when they grew old and couldn't work anymore. There were no laws against child labor and it was nearly impossible to have reliable health care if you weren't wealthy. And if companies chose to discriminate against minorities or women, which they often did, there were no laws in place to hold them accountable. We've experienced the results of unregulated capitalism and it was pretty awful for most of the country. Though it did grow the economy exponentially, that's why the labor movement's up. Franklin D. Roosevelt was the first president to introduce a far-reaching social safety net in the U.S. with an ambitious socioeconomic policy that he called the New Deal. The country had sunk into a Great Depression, partly due to the unregulated banking and securities industries. So he created what became the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the FDIC, which still protects the accounts that we have at banks. He introduced the Fair Labor Standards Act, which standardized the 40-hour workweek. In 1890, the average manufacturing employee, worked 100 hours a week. But most importantly, Roosevelt signed the Social Security Act into law in 1935, which ensures payments to retirees, the unemployed, and disabled people. Of course, we pay into those programs throughout our working lives. He introduced what many people refer to as a limited welfare state, and a lot of conservative leaders are still upset about it. But Roosevelt effectively created the middle class in the U.S. Many of these programs are still extremely popular among voters of all stripes. The same goes for Medicare and Medicaid, signed into law by Linda Johnson in 1965. I think in this era of late stage capitalism, we're starting to understand that socialist principles can best be used to regulate free markets. It doesn't have to be either or. If you think of capitalism like pop music and socialism like soul, capitalism went from this to this. And whether you like it or not, that second example is much more reflective of the taste of the majority of the people in this country. They don't wanna have to choose. They want a system whose primary aim is to serve its citizens and allow them to pursue happiness without undue restrictions. And at least in the US, capitalism regulated by some principles of social democracy seems to provide the best balance of individual freedom and governmental protection. I mean, free markets are very much at work in communist China, but it's still a communist country. Our political and social policies being influenced by socialist theories aimed at protecting the human rights of all people doesn't mean that we're abandoning democracy and slipping off into the abyss to embrace Marxist ideology. That's a scare tactic that often causes average citizens to vote against their own best interests. So is there any validity to these accusations of socialism by the right? Well, there has certainly been an influence of socialist thought on our capitalist economy over the last 100 years in the U.S. And guess what? So socialist thinkers might have had a few valid criticisms of governments that allow billionaires and large corporations to run roughshod over the middle and working classes. Now, within any socioeconomic system, when you have wannabe despots, authoritarians, or dictators at the helm, people suffer, regardless of what the political system is. And we in the U.S. know that from first-hand experience. But it's important to remember that socialism is not automatically anti-democratic or anti-capitalist. Elements of socialist thought can and do exist in capitalist democracies, and we we have many indications that those elements usually leave a nation's citizens happier and healthier. Ultimately, the accusation of socialism as a response to compassionate economic policies kind of falls into that category of Negro lover back in the day or woke now. It's not really the flex that they think it is, and the very fact that a person is using that pejoratively should tell you everything that you need to know about their priorities. My next tour stop will be on Monday the 11th of September in New York. Visit the link in my bio for details.